This episode was created as a part of Podcast Lab by India Film Project in association with Anchor by Spotify. Hello and welcome to another episode of the YB Podcast. I'm your host Yakita and you're listening to the part 2 of Last Conversation with Aryan Mishra. In this episode, we talk about our take on the 9 to 5 job sectors, the productivity industry and how we've built habits over the years. Yeah, I, this conversation excites me because... um ever since i got into like the whole productivity world and whatever it's it's changed me as a person like i've picked up habits i've picked up things that i otherwise wouldn't be doing and i think people really need to see it from that perspective to know what really excites us like um but yeah so how you mentioned um about how like people put you into boxes and like two no two people are the same i think this also makes a lot of sense for how one person can have multiple interests which society doesn't understand so say for example i think that now our generation has changed so if you're a doctor you can also like dancing it's okay and you can pursue that and that's what exactly what our generation has done where you may be studying something but you're doing something that's absolutely different and i think that's fine you can do both and understanding that one person can have multiple interests is what basically drives these side hustles and things like that and it's what makes people want to try and do things that our previous generations haven't been able to how many people do you ask who previously enjoyed something that was creative endeavor but they didn't take it because no job security so say you have someone working in the corporate job really likes you know fitness yoga wanted to be an instructor but didn't because just didn't make the money people now would do both of that So that's what I think people really need to understand that it's okay to do multiple things, and this this is exactly what drives our generation. Hundred percent. I think I've been enough. I've been derisive enough to our generation, but when they get a plus <laughs> one, is I I fully agree with you. I think um, we in our in our struggle for acceptance, which I think has gone a little too far. and so it has negative effects i think acceptance of every kind um but i think within the periphery of where it's been useful is understanding people can have not people can have any same human has multiple interests and i think that was supposed to be the job i mean you know you look back at the 1940s and 50s and you look at the work culture in america then the middle class blue collar worker was a worker for fixed hours came back had a family he loved and spent quality time with was assured raises was some amount of security and it wasn't this constant consumer culture that 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 fuels that constant overworking culture because cuz see again what you're driven by is also really important and this is the second kind of overwork that i talked about if you're driven by i want to be successful versus i need to pay my debt for the gucci bag i bought last month which extinguished my bank account those are two very different kinds of anxieties see anxiety biochemically is the same as excitement it's all about perspective and so the perspective of a person who is working the same amount overworking so to say the same amount as somebody who's trying to be successful versus somebody who's trying to pay off their gucci bag debt is way different they're doing the same amount of work but both will have different perspectives one will be looking into the future the other would be worrying about the past and it immediately changes their life just the perspective nothing objective about their life 
is the perspective they have on their life. Our generation has come to identify that at least. How well have we been able to embody that? I'm not sure. And I think it's not our generation so much as millennials really, you know, post-2000s really exploring that. Like millennials who were like fed up of the nightlife structure and realizing why should I just accept society the way it is, right? We, we just accept society the way it is, quite simply speaking. We just accept school. Yeah, um, of course, you go to school. Yeah, of course, you go to college. Of course, then you graduate and you find a job. Like, obviously, duh. Like, there's just this natural acceptance of these things that are, what, 50 years old? And we're just accepting them to be the case. Imagine if we lived in a world where people just accepted how society was. We'd still have slavery. Or we'd still have harmful things society has come up with. So don't just accept what society has come up with because that's the case. Think about it. Now, it doesn't need to be as drastic as slavery, uh, mind you, but it can be uh, just the structures you are living under. Um, so when you say a fitness trainer, a doctor who wants to be a fitness trainer. I mean, I, I know I'm I'm mentoring so many people who are doctors who are wanting to be podcasters, right? And you're like, wow, they can do that. They can actually do that. And see, that's why that's why I think dividing the overwork notion of being overworked into three fields, and the second being the corporate culture, which I am furiously against. Uh, is very important. And so if there's one takeaway message from this pod, this episode is question the nine to five corporate structure. And does it really give you what you want or does it give you a fake sense of security? I've, I've always wanted to see like the, the perspective of someone who's doing a nine to five and is pretty happy because I think majority of the people at least in and around my circle are the kinds who would like repel against this corporate structure and corporate ladder and that sort of work of life um i've always wondered like what their take would be other than yes job security because i get it i get you want like a financial something that like makes you feel like okay i can do five other things in the evening post work but like you said is that the life you really want to live like your post work life no, no, I think I, I will touch on because that's equally important. I think the perspective of the nine to five person is very important in this conversation. And I had the same question and I actually went out and asked people who I know are nine to five. Um, one thing I've observed, um, true for people happy in nine to fives across the board is a very, very healthy, are healthy habits and a healthy family environment, and they're happy. And I think, I think fundamentally what makes us happy are having, you know, like a happy relationship, uh, having a healthy relationship, um, having kids, uh, having happy memories, having happy moments. Fundamentally, that's what gets you true gratitude and happiness. And then there is the euphoric kind of happiness that you build upon the, the ladder of, you know, success, would you say. So I know, I, I know an uncle who is very happy in his nine to five. And, and he's one, he's, so I idolize him to some extent when it comes to healthy habits. Um, but then again, I know nine to five folks absolutely unhappy. And guess what? 
um, alcoholics, um, single. Um, you know, you you'd see this this is almost this. Uh, it's it's a comorbidity associated with the nine to five. So I think nine to five is not um, sufficient for um, unhappiness. Like not being in a nine to five is not sufficient for uh, being unhappy. But it's certainly a, a, a probability increaser, so to say. Yeah, like it's like saying having one contaminated fish in a pond ruins the rest. So if your nine to five is your toxic space, all the rest of your habits eventually will grow into something like that. But yeah, if you have like a healthy nine to five, you will have the rest of your habits absolutely healthy. Um, so yeah, uh, a question more personalized, but like, what's one habit you think you built that like you follow now? Bad habit or good habit? <laughs> I'm assuming uh, good one. Uh, yeah, I have a fair share of bad habits I need to quit. Not a lot, actually. I've actually, okay, this, this, this doesn't need to be a therapy session. Um, <laughs> a good habit that I've built. A good habit that I've built is, um, very honestly, I can't give a deep philosophical answer. It's working on fitness. Um, that's my anchor to being happy. And it's the, so I have a, I have a, you know, I've had imposter syndrome as a kid, right? And uh, I saw, I was like that kid who peaked in high school and then was always worried if this is, you know, if, am I going to continue this? I think I have, but I know I got early success. I'm just being objective. I'm not, you know, um, oh, I was a great 10th grader. 10th graders out there, 10th grade doesn't matter. Um, but, you know, I, I know I saw early success in terms of, you know, acing college, being the head boy, uh, winning international competitions, national debater, blah, 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 on and on, right? But never from any of those um, singular accomplishments did I feel like I was responsible. I always came up with an excuse as to how this was a function of luck. Always. And, you know, imposter syndrome is real. Uh, and I was like, but, and throughout this, I, 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 was, a, I was a fat kid in high school, uh, you know, flowing between overweight and maybe obese for a short duration, but I was certainly overweight. I was a chubby kid, fat kid. Um, I was never bullied for it because I think I was always a very type A dominant person. But it was certainly within my friends, certain something people would, you know, nicknames or something. And, you know, so any fat kid would know this. There's a common shared humanity of being a fat kid. And, you know, there, there's certain habits associated with that. Anyway, um, I got into the first time I, I lost weight was in senior year of high school. So that's 12th grade. I remember the happiness I got from that was so true because you can't lose weight because of luck. I mean, if you're losing weight in a healthy manner, if you're resisting unhealthy foods, and if you're working out, where's the luck in that? It's all self-driven. So the gratification that comes from something within your locus of control, and if you go through with it, 
is so so gratifying i mean i can't tell you how much happiness it brought me back then and again i went to college got freshman 15 gained a bunch of weight again I, my college is in america so lo and behold steaks burgers and pizzas i got back into that um over the last year i've gotten really into fitness and I've, you know i'm 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 the healthy guy in the family i'm the healthy guy in my friends group from working out supplementation and you know the gym for me working out for me is the one healthy habit that um yeah i i couldn't preach more for other people and now i do it for the mental benefits more than the physical benefits really i mean it's just it's my two hours in the dojo just you know fixing my mind that's one of the healthy habits i've developed over this year i have to second you at the gym thought because i myself i'm someone who really enjoys my gym time so if it's an hour in the morning it's a dedicated hour in the morning where i'm not thinking about anything else which is doing what i have to um and i think so something that's going yeah. for the day for me so i get i get where you're coming from what's one piece of advice you religiously follow that's given to you by someone no yeah, i think i recently tweeted um i i i tweeted after maybe 6 or 7 months um because i i thankfully left twitter and i tweeted something on the lines of if you're able to overcome the natural fallacy and the sunken ship fallacy you will substantially improve your life now let's break that tweet down because i don't want it to sound high handed and i know many fallacies no i was just being very genuine natural fallacy so sunken ship fallacy if you want to get into that we could and it's somehow directly related to this which is funny but i think what has helped me more is the natural fallacy the so natural fallacy is the idea that if something is natural it is good and by virtue of that if something is unnatural it is bad you will see this this fallacy being constantly done by us when it comes to organic foods it's organic so it's good it's um genetically modified or made in a lab so it's bad doesn't matter if there's any genuine biochemical reason for that as long as there's that distinction between organic inorganic natural unnatural you will see this argument actually in philosophical circles as well gay sex is bad why because it's unnatural does it require first it's not unnatural the boons and dolphins love their gay sex uh, so it's not unnatural for those of you who are homophobic but um even if the argument was it's unnatural uh you this podcast is unnatural you're talking on a mic from another city yeah could i should we stop this is it bad because it's unnatural absolutely not right unnatural isn't sufficient for something to be bad we don't realize this we especially don't realize this when it comes to day to day activities and we especially don't realize this when it comes to nutrition a lot of the mindset health and nutrition so we would say um you know something like drink milk because it's natural um don't drink whey protein that's unnatural made in a lab now milk has way more bad effects on your health than you can imagine 
whey protein will help you build muscle if you drink that after a workout. Biochemically, one is clearly better than the other. But if you work within natural and unnatural, you can never get over it. The same applies to vaccines. Vaccines are unnatural. Natural immunity is good. Why? Because it's natural, right? And you would see this organic, natural, uh, made on a farm, these words that try to make a product look good and try to make activities look good. I was given the advice by, I don't want to forget the name. Oh. Alan Levinowitz. Alan Levinowitz, um, professor of philosophy or professor of religion. I forget at which university. So his book, his book is about the natural fallacy. And I was, funnily enough, I heard him first on a podcast um, and followed him on Twitter and, you know, amazing stuff, right? And he really helped break down this idea of the natural fallacy. And ever since I was able to overcome the natural fallacy, I have made so many healthier decisions for myself that might be something as well as supplementing, right? I was like, oh, shoot, you can take supplements, even though they're unnatural. Or you can, you know, you can try various kinds of meditations um, that are not necessarily natural to your being, but it's worth exploring. Like, so you can try lifting weights. Lifting weights, very unnatural on the face of it, right? Um, just run instead. But no, it has benefits. So I, one piece of advice I try to explain to people, and I think if you, if you, you know, too many people nowadays say, Logic is not um, a tool for persuasion. Like rational people will just believe what they believe. Logic is not good enough. You'd be surprised how many people you can convince when it comes to the natural fallacy because you make them question why they believe what they believe. Like it was the case with me. And you'd be like, yeah, because my mom said natural is good, I think. Or because that advertisement always talked about how their ingredients are organic and all of a sudden it takes so that's a piece of advice that's really interesting i'm trying to like mentally break it down to see and question a lot of my things with why am i doing this but we're not we're not going into that <laughs> for sure <laughs> Okay, um, what's something that you think you did that brought you where you are, which is different to how you think other people in our generation do it? Um, can I be very honest? Um, I, yeah, this is by far the one. Okay, firstly, where I am at, at the age of 20, um, and I know I'm at a good position, right? Um, professionally speaking, a lot of it is because of luck and the blessings of wonderful people that have surrounded me. Um, I mean, majority of anything I am today is because of them. And I couldn't start an answer without prefacing it with that. Um, and I'll forever be grateful to them. You know, I have, I have another habit I have. I have uh, gratitude. I think that's a habit people should develop. I think I've always had this. So 
biannually, I write an email to my principal from grade fourth school, who I think really motivated me, thanking her. Biannually, or every year I do, but biannually I try to, and I usually reach out to people who don't necessarily remember me, just thanking them for where I am. So I think gratitude is a good habit. Makes you happy, gives you perspective. At the end of the day, it's all about perspective, right? If you can find happiness in the fact that you can drive in a car on a road, and somebody five hundred years back would be like, "That's the highlight of my life." That I got to be in this box that goes at hundred kilometers an hour. If you can develop that kind of perspective, you're living a happy life just by the virtue of that. And I think that's something I try to do. That's I, I'm a happy guy. You know, I don't get sad, and it's because perspective. But anyway, so um, tying back to the question you said, uh, how you how you're at, how you are at where you're at right now, from something you did different from others. So. Apart from all the luck involved, Yakuta, the honest answer is one of the things that sets me up. I don't give a fuck about what people think. That's yeah. the god honest answer. The god honest answer is at a very young age, I realized that what others think of you doesn't matter at all, and that has allowed me to say yes to opportunities. And that is that that others would have, that others judged at that moment. It has allowed me to be assertive without worrying. It's allowed me to stand up for myself without worrying about if I lose friends. And for those of you just listening, I'm air quoting friends right now. I might care about no, I not might. Either I don't care about a person's perspective, opinion on my life. Not about my actions on my life. Either I don't care about it at all, or I would value it more than anything else. And there are maybe three or four of those people in my life. I have a very small social circle, and I'm very careful about curating my social circle. My genuine social circle maybe has four or five people that I give a fuck about when it comes to what they think. Do I give a fuck about people? Yes, of course. I love people. You know, I I'm there for. I'd love to help people. But when it comes to opinions and whether it would influence my decision to do something, four or five people learning how to not give a fuck is the single best thing, best attribute about me. I thank sometimes myself for it because I'm like, dude, why do you not give a fuck? I'm like, I just don't. Like that's perfect. It's this internal monologue. It's like, dude, you're so cool. I'm like, yeah, I know I'm cool. Right? It's this internal monologue where I thank myself. But yeah. The art of not giving a subtle fuck. I've not read that book, but I might as well have written it. I I envy that thought. I really wish I had embedded that before because I think I have now reached that stage. But had I done that, say even like four years back, back when I was just getting out of high school, I'd be in a different position today. So I really. So, so in what kinds of ways? In what kinds of ways did you give a fuck? Um. So I'll give you an example. When I had just gotten out of my tenth grade, I had started a blog. Okay, blog back in twenty fifteen was oh damn, you're doing something. <laughs> so I started blog, yeah. and it was it was around like lifestyle related stuff. So I'd like either talk about a trip I went on or what I wore or some some stuff like that. And I thought it was really cool. I loved it. I had a whole website made back then, 
and um, I was very consistent but then I had like people talk about it it was like the talk of the town at that time that oh my god she's starting a blog like how weird but I don't think people came up and told me that it was just I perceived that they thought that way so even if someone made like a subtle statement that oh you're doing this I'd be like okay they don't like me doing this and um, the idea of trying to fit in had stuck into my head so badly that I just wanted to be accepted so I had to twist ways to not be myself, but be what society wanted me to be. And I think that's where I fucked up. Um, but once once I just like moved beyond that and I realized, okay, I am better at X thing than other people, then just do it. <laughs> yeah, so I think that took yeah. me a long time. Okay, so I have always had a difficult time understanding why people give a fuck, right? And so this is me trying to understand where that comes from. Has has giving a fuck again a lot of fucks in this segment of the episode but i think it conveys that emotion very well what giving a fuck is it conveys the emotion very well um because guys i'm not one to swear a lot um yeah, in general. That, same. Uh, yeah yeah so has it ever impeded you in your personal life so saying yes or no to professional decisions because others you know what others would think etc etc you know, that's not healthy, but it's certainly, you know, not the worst. But in personal decisions, when it comes to standing up for yourself um, or doing it, has that, has not, has caring about what others might think of you ever impeded you? And yeah, has that ever happened? Um, I think a lot of times when I didn't act upon a decision was when it was publicly visible. So if it was, say, me starting a blog, which was supposed to be public, say it was me performing at X event, it's supposed to be public, I would still do those things, but in my own private circle, just not publicly. So I'm still doing it, but I had reduced my scope of getting opportunities and growing because I had like assumed that people were whatever and I started giving a fuck too much about it so I think in that sense yes but I was still doing what I wanted to do it's just that I wasn't doing it publicly but I, I hope you come to change that because and yeah, I mean, yeah. you already said that you're at your stage that that doesn't matter and for the folks listening I think when it comes to your personal decisions in life like who you want to date um or when somebody offends you and I'm not saying the gen z offend which they're offended about every single thing I mean literally offended which in the archaic english sense means um, offend means something with way more gravitas than what we give it today so if somebody genuinely offends you right they 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 um trespass beyond the point of mutual respect and civility that is not acceptable how to stand up for yourself those things are also a function of i don't care what others around me right now think i will stand up for myself becoming that kind of a person while in the long run will be professionally advantageous funnily enough but in that moment would be personally gratifying to be that person who doesn't you know two minutes later says i wish i said that ah i wish i said that don't be that person and if you're that person change right now because all you need to do is not care about what others around you would think look at our generation if they're gen, even if they're offended by trivial things, they will not stand up for themselves there and then. They'll come back in their very comfortable couches where they have their 5G Wi-Fi's running, open up Instagram, make a big story about how this happened to them and how society is so unfair. 
Um, you could have just stood up for yourself there and then, taught that person a lesson, if at all they were offending you legitimately, right? Because, see, if they were not offending you legitimately, you wouldn't have stood up right there and then because you would have known they would, everybody around you would have just said, dude, grow up, right? But become the kind of person who stand up, stands, stands up for themselves. And that's entirely a function of not giving a fuck about others' opinions of you. I think a byproduct of this is living with regrets. Because as soon as you start giving a fuck, you stop doing what you like, and then you end up with like a bundle of regrets that you're living in. And yeah, I, I think you're lucky you skipped that whole bit that people usually go through in that. I think I did. Yeah, I think that's I think I did. I think I, I think I had to. I mean, I, I, I know I didn't skip it. Just I know, uh, you know, due to not having the smoothest childhoods, um, I had to. It was a coping mechanism, right? Being, uh, yeah, it was a coping mechanism that ended up being an adaptive coping mechanism. Now, coping mechanisms that we learn in our young years can be maladaptive when we grow up and something like, um, you know, uh, being over-dependent in relationships, for example, is a coping mechanism that might give an advantage in your teenage years, but when you're in your 20s and you're over-dependent on your partner, for example, it's a maladaptive trait. Um, so I think with me, it was a coping mechanism, you know, single mother, you know, seeing all of that. I, I was a type A even in middle school. So friendships breaking apart with best of friends. And I was like, I just have me, right? I just had me, the young Aryan. And I treat them as, I treat that kid as separate from me. I look back on him as just a kid. So when I'm complimenting him, I'm complimenting another person almost. So again, I'm not being, not, you know, tapping myself on the back here. I'm tapping a kid on the back who just had himself, right? And so it was a coping mechanism. Ended up being a very adaptive coping mechanism, which is true, which I'm grateful for. Yeah, big ups to you for that. Oh, to that kid, not me, to that kid. (laughs) To that one. Okay, it was really nice talking to you. Thank you for being a part of this. I realized it like went on for a while, but this was very informative. I didn't expect it to like jump into so much. But I think it's also because of so much in common that it was genuine like excitement mm-hmm. and curiosity out of which we were talking. Oh, yeah, I mean, I, I love to, I read this tweet from, I think, I think the guy's name is Wesley Yang, who's a political commentator. And he said, it is mind-numbingly refreshing to meet uh, a 20-year-old with a brain. I think that's, I think he was being very extreme, right? But what he was trying to say was the 20 year old who thinks to themselves and who is, who can look at the herd and go, as you're a herd, right? All of you are right now trying to be the most unique person there is, but you're all being unique in the same way. And so therefore you're a herd. You're doing the same exact, you know, you change your DP when there's a political something thinking you're unique, but all of you have the same political display pictures, surprisingly enough. You put the same thing in your bios, same symbols in your bios. You do all those same things to signal how unique you are and how, you know, um, Gen Z and advanced you are. 
and when i meet a person in my generation who goes you know productivity isn't toxic i want to do fun stuff i want to build stuff i want to do stuff yeah working out is not fat phobic um being healthy is not like yes all right let's talk so was the excitement i was really excited to talk to you because see we've had conversations before where i realized you know where you're coming from i was yeah this was this was great